All right. If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. Don't worry about that. Uh, Happy late Thanksgiving to everybody. Hopefully you've had uh, a good weekend. Um, Like I said, we got to host Santa here. That was fun. Uh, Emily and I, we went down to her family in the cities. uh, And everything was going great until Wednesday night, which is kind of the day we went down there, uh, when my wife then tested positive for COVID. So that's fun, spending Thanksgiving in a room by yourself. And I'm bringing her a plate, you know, as she's like in there by herself. But we still, it was, it was a great weekend still. Hopefully uh, you guys are able to have a good weekend. We are finishing up our series on 21 days of feasting. And today's the last Sunday that we are going to be talking about this. Uh, and we haven't done 21 days yet though. All right, so this will go through Saturday. So if you're at home, if you're doing a reading plan, you're doing different things like that, go through Saturday on this, okay? Uh, Hopefully you've been able to make use of some of the tools that we had in the first two weeks. We've been doing this this reading plan on gratitude together in the Bible, Uh, maybe making a gratitude journal where you write down things that you're thankful for. Uh, And then we had these little uh, questions that we have at the dinner table to make our mealtime intentional. How many of you guys have been able to do some of those questions? Anybody? Uh, I've loved doing that with our kids. Uh, We kind of ask different questions, and it's just funny to see what their answers are. Like, what's one thing you would change in the world? You know, some of these are like deep questions. Um, And then you ask questions, and kids are are very arrogant. You're like, how close to God are you? One to ten right now. Ten. A thousand. You know, you're just like, you're getting these answers. You're like, that's great. I love it. But uh, it's been a great time doing those. And then uh, hopefully even, even taking communion together at home as a family. We kind of challenge you to do that. Uh, and then uh, tonight, this night of gratitude that we're doing, that's kind of the pieces that we pulled together outside of our services to try and just focus on being grateful this season. All right, so uh, we have one more Sunday morning, and I want to jump into that now. Uh, let's just kind of, let's sit on the edge of our seats. Let's just be ready for God to speak to us today and to do something. We believe that God is alive, he is still speaking to us, and that our life is changed every time that we just draw near to him. So let's, let's be ready to do that. If you're willing and if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to spend some time just, I'm going to read through our passage that we're going to look at, and then I will pray. So we are looking in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Jesus, we just pray this morning that uh, this, this last Sunday that we gather together to kind of focus in specifically on this topic, uh, Lord, that you would just kind of cement things in our heart. You would make things uh, just solid in our heart uh, that would last beyond these 21 days. God, that this wouldn't just be something we do in November and we're grateful for stuff, but we would live a life that is filled with gratitude. So Jesus, just help us to do that this morning. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So, so far in this series, we, we have talked about how to be grateful uh, in how like, we focus on different things. We, we have to remember uh, the things that we have to be grateful for, are the many blessings. We have to remember the right things we said, uh, but unfortunately, 
maybe you are like me, too often I remember the things that I should forget and I forget the things that I should remember, right, if, if you've been there. And so we want to make sure that we are trying to remember the right things, remember the things that God has done for us. Uh, and when we, when we do that, we should respond in a way. We said that gratitude is sort of like love, all right, it's more than a feeling, Okay, it's an action. There is something to it. So we, we should show our gratitude through action, not just saying thank you, but there should be more to it than that. And then last week, we talked about uh, this idea of, of having a more mature gratitude. You know, kind of the, the basic level, we looked at some different spots in the Bible, and the basic level, we see this example of, of Moses telling the Israelites, be thankful for everything that God has given you, everything he has provided. And, and that's a good thing to be thankful for that. But then we kind of see these other levels of gratitude as we go through scripture. And we see King David, and he writes Psalm 23. It's a very famous one. All right. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Like if you you know that psalm. And in there it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so then we talked about how there's a gratitude that we can have that isn't thank you for the things that I have. It's thank you even though... All of these things are going on in my life. Thank you, God, even though I'm walking through a valley right now. Thank you. And we're thanking God in those moments, really not for his provision, but just for his presence that's in our life. And then we actually took it even one step further. We said, and this is a really hard one to be able to get to, but the Apostle Paul talks about how he is, he's in prison and he says, because I'm in prison, because of these chains, people are hearing about Jesus. The jailers around me are hearing about Jesus. Because I am in prison, the church that's outside is becoming even more bold. They're seeing my example and they're becoming more bold. So that is the type of thank you that says thank you because of these negative things in my life. And what that does is it actually moves even beyond the presence of God and it focuses on the, on the fact that there is a purpose to our life. And that no matter what happens in our life, good or bad, God can use that for a purpose. So it brings us to this place where we say thank you because of this. Because I know you are going to do something with this. You are going to be glorified through this situation. All right, and that's, that's where we've kind of walked in this. The last place we want to go in this series to close it up is the idea of contentment. All right? To be content, like kind of simply, simply put a definition, is simply to, to be in a state of satisfaction. To be content in your life is is to be satisfied with your life. You are happy with what you have, with where you are, with how things are going, like everything. Like you are are content, you are satisfied. Gallup does a study every year on the number of Americans who are satisfied in life. When they look at the world around them, they look at their life, how many of them are satisfied? And believe it or not, it's getting worse and worse. And this year, in 2022, I think they do it in the spring, uh, 38% of Americans said they were satisfied with their life. 38%. That's a pretty small number of people that would say, you know, I I actually, like, I'm I'm satisfied. And this is based off of actually, like, 29 different areas that they looked at. Not just, it wasn't they just asked the question, are you satisfied with life? This was an in-depth study. All right, Now, now the other side of being content being satisfied, uh, and being happy with where you are, is being in a place where you wish you had more. Wishing that you had maybe even what someone else has. Okay, in the Bible, 
uh, this is referred to as an idea called coveting. All right, so to covet, a simple definition, is to desire something that you don't have. All right, or, or sometimes specifically to desire something that belongs to somebody else. Now, here's, here's the thing with these two words uh, and, and kind of their definition. Like, you can't be content and covet at the same time. You can't. You can't do both of those. You can't be satisfied with where you're at and want more. Does that make sense? Like, these two things, they, they are exclusive. They cannot be held together at the same time. Now, many times I think we see, uh, we, we look at these two words and we kind of put them into two different camps. We say, well, being content is good and coveting is bad, right? Like that's kind of usually we, we would classify them into those groups. But here's the thing. If we kind of, if we remove some of the, the biblical language uh, surrounding covet and the idea of the Ten Commandments, and you just actually use the word in its basic sense, to desire something you don't have. I don't think they necessarily are always good or bad. What if I'm content? What if I'm satisfied with uh, my life and how I'm doing, but actually I, I'm super lazy? And I'm not really doing what I should be doing. But I'm content with that. Like, is that a good thing in that moment to be content? Probably not. I probably should desire something else beyond that. Like, I'm content with just this lackluster, underperforming, nonchalant life that I have. All right? Uh, what if I'm just completely fine where I am with God and the impact that I'm having for his kingdom, but in reality, I'm not close to God and I'm having no impact and I don't care about that? Is being content in, in your spiritual life, if your spiritual life isn't good, that's obviously not a good thing. And the same thing, what if this idea of, of coveting, what, what if we, what if what we're desiring is, is we look at somebody else or we, we desire a, a, greater, a greater passion and zeal for God? And maybe you even look at somebody else in your life who's kind of an example and you say, man, I, I wish I were going after God like they are. That they are such an encouragement to me, such an example to me. Like in that moment, okay, again, kind of remove that negative connotation of covet that I think we so easily attach to it. Like it would be a good thing to desire, let's use that word, to desire a greater relationship with God, a deeper pursuit of God. So we can see here how being content and coveting aren't necessarily always falling into this, this positive and negative idea. All right, and, and why, why, does, why does this matter? Well, because today we are looking at Paul, who says he's found the secret to being content uh, despite him, his circumstances. And I think for us to actually understand what Paul is saying, we probably need to separate some of our preconceived ideas uh, around the idea of being content. Okay, and what Paul is talking about here doesn't really have to do with being content or coveting in the classic idea that I think we often have. So in our passage in Philippians today, the Apostle Paul is sitting in prison. And oftentimes in prison in the first century, it did not look like what prison for us looks like, okay? Uh, you, you didn't really serve time for like a crime that you committed. More often than not, when you were sitting in prison, it's because you were waiting for your court case. You were waiting for something to be resolved. Or maybe you were waiting to pay off a debt or something like that. But it wasn't really as much of what we think of as like, you, you did this punishment, now you have 10 years to sit here. Um, and, and so Paul is there, and, and what actually happens in first century prisons is as you are waiting, you are responsible for yourself. 
What that means is this. There was no orange jumpsuit that was handed to you. There is no bedding that was given to you. There is no cafeteria where you go and get in line and, you know, regardless of the quality of the food, that there is, like, food provided. You actually had to provide what you needed. And we see this at different times. Paul, at one point, he tells someone, hey, when you come, will you bring my cloak? And it's because it, lots of times you would be cold in these prisons and you didn't have anything for that. And, and so at this time, like if you wanted food, someone had to provide food for you. And at different times where, where Paul's in prison, they'll say, hey, don't stop his friends from coming and supporting him. Like, that's okay. They can come in and deliver things to him. And so he's getting food from the church outside. He's getting money, all, all these different things. Okay? Uh, and so when, when Paul is in prison here, this church in Philippi that this letter is written to has sent him a gift of money so that he can take care of himself. All right? And it seems to actually be a large, substantial gift. So Paul writes a letter back to them, and what would you expect to be in this letter? If we, if we gathered a big, you know, a big sum of money and we sent it off to somebody, and then we get a letter in the mail from them, what do you expect is probably in that letter? Thank you? <laughs> right? Like, not, not that that has to be like everything that's focused on, but you're like, I would think that would happen. Now, the weird thing here is Paul, so far, he hasn't really come flat out and, and said thank you. He's alluded to the gift here and there, but we're in chapter 4 of this letter, which is the end of the letter, and he hasn't really said a whole lot, all right? And so then, then Paul now is actually going to mention the gift, and this is what he says. Uh, in verse 10, he, and this won't be on the screen, I'm just going to read this, I want you just to kind of listen. How I praise the Lord that you are con concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Then he says the bit about being content that we said. Then it goes on, he says, Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. So Paul sufficiently here thanks them for the gift. But the few verses earlier that I skipped over uh, and we read earlier, they're almost a little bit awkward in the middle of a thank you. What Paul basically says is, hey, thank you for the gift, but I didn't need it. That like, thanks for, for putting in all this sacrifice and extra work and raising this money, but I really didn't need the gift. And you're kind of like, that, that's not a good way to say thank you. Right? Like, you know, we're coming up on Christmas here, and if a kid, like, opens a present, you know, you expect this. We, we try and teach our kids, okay, who are you going to go and say thank you to? Most of the time, they don't even know. They just shout thank you really loud in the room because they don't even know who gave it. And, you know, but you're like, no, go over to them, look them in the eyes, say thank you. What are you thankful for? You know, and if they're like, this is great, but, you know, I already have a bunch of Legos. I really didn't need this. You're going to be like, you little jerk. Fine, I have the receipt. I'll take it back and keep the money. You know, like whatever it is. So Paul here, he's kind of, he's saying this like, hey, thank you for the gift. I didn't really need it. And you got to think that to the people hearing this letter, this was probably a little weird or interesting, at least. Um, and, and they're probably sitting there thinking, like, what do you mean you didn't need it? 
You're in prison. You have nothing. If we didn't send this to you, you don't get to eat. Paul, I don't know this, but if you don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you don't eat, you die. That's how it works. You needed this gift. Like, they're probably like, what do you mean you didn't need this? Now, the, the, I think the Philippians here, they are thinking about the physical needs and what he needs to survive. Paul is, is talking about a bigger focus in life. Okay, remember, this Paul is the same Paul that at the beginning of this letter, he said this. He said, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. You're like, okay, you might have a few screws that are loose. Like, dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. What I'm trying to do is help us kind of connect with some of the more human thoughts that probably are going on here. Paul is talking on a different level. But that doesn't mean that that the Philippians understood what was happening on that level in this moment. This is a man that doesn't seem very concerned with what he physically has in life. He's much more focused on God's kingdom than the kingdom that he physically lives in. So when Paul talks about being content, we need to realize his focus is going to be on something other than what he has in life, right? Like, that's what we know about Paul. He's not going to be talking about physically what he has and if he's content. His focus is on God's kingdom and moving that forward. So when we read this passage that we read earlier, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances that's not being content because I have a lot or because I have a little. It says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's, here's the answer. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So this isn't focused on being content with what we have physically. If you try to find contentedness in what you have physically, you probably won't do it. Because the reality is we live in a world where we are constantly reminded of what we don't have. As you pulled into the parking lot this morning, maybe you even had a thought driving in and you saw somebody else's car that is a newer year and newer make or model or that nice big pickup and you're, you're driving a little sedan, whatever it is. Like you, We are constantly reminded. We look around us and we think, I don't have that, they have that. It is really, really hard to be content in the physical. And I, and I actually would venture to say here that I don't think Paul is necessarily even trying to get us to be content in the physical necessarily. Here, here's what I mean by that. I, I think he's thinking a completely different route. All right, if, if I were celebrating Thanksgiving with you, and after we get done eating this big meal and we eat pie at the end and it's delicious and you're just stuffed, right? Like maybe that was you this last week. And I look over at you and I say, hey, are you satisfied with your Thanksgiving? In that moment, you're probably going to think about like the meal that you just had. And you're like, well, yeah, I had turkey and I had potatoes and I had green bean casserole and I had pie and I had, you know, and, and you list off everything. You're like, yes, I am satisfied with my Thanksgiving. All right, like th that might be where your mind goes. 
Now, what that does, though, is that puts the focus of Thanksgiving on the food. Now, we know that the focus of Thanksgiving, despite what our world and how we treat it, is not the food. Right? Like the focus of Thanksgiving, what what might be a more accurate gauge? Uh, Probably something surrounding family or the company that you had or the mindset or the attitude that you had during Thanksgiving. And if I say, are you satisfied with Thanksgiving? And you think about those things. You think about, did I have the the attitude that I should have and the mindset I should have? And did I spend it with the people I want to spend it with? Now, does the food matter? No, you could eat breakfast cereal for Thanksgiving, but if you had all these other things, you could say, yes, I am satisfied with Thanksgiving because my focus is on the right thing. And I think that that's what Paul's kind of trying to do here. Like, too often we take this verse and we try and say, hey, be content with what you physically have. But even in saying that, what do we do? We put the focus on the physical side of things. And I don't think that's what Paul's trying to do here. I think he's trying to remove us from that. Okay, another example would be like this. If I say, hey, uh, or maybe this afternoon, you, you see a friend and they say, how was church today? How was church? And if your focus is, well, you know, they really didn't sing my favorite song. And the message didn't really seem to speak specifically to me. And my one buddy that I was hoping to see and catch up with, they weren't there So I don't know, church was okay. It wasn't that great. All right, now right there we realize that what is our focus? How are we measuring, engaging church with the wrong things? Now if the purpose of church is simply to glorify God communally, to come together with other believers and to glorify God, does it matter what songs we sing? Does it matter if the message spoke directly into your life for exactly what you needed that week? Does it matter if the person that you wanted to be there was there or not? No, these things don't matter. And so I I think what Paul's doing here is he's trying to, too often we take this and we try and say, be content with what you physically have. Even in doing that, I think we're putting the attention and the focus in the wrong area. We should. We should be content with what we physically have. But not because we're actually content with what we physically have, but because we're content with what we spiritually have. Now, because this is what matters, I can be content with this. And and so we kind of, we mix up the order on this too often. All right, and this is why, you know, because what Paul says here is actually the secret to being content. Philippians 4.13, this is a famous verse, but I like this translation of it. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. There's other translations that say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Maybe you've heard that that translation of it before. The, The problem with that is for people that like to grab one verse out of the Bible and just, you know, kind of cherry pick, and I'm going to use this verse and this verse and this verse, you can take that verse and you can apply it to whatever you want, right? Like, I am going to score this touchdown through Christ who gives me the strength, right? Spiritual stiff arm right to the throat. Like, like how many sports t-shirts have I seen that are like these sports Christian shirts that have Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Is that actually what that verse is meaning here? Really not. This is, this is the secret to being content. This is the idea of, you know, I can do all of this. Now, when you translate it that way and you read that verse, you have to ask the question, 
what is this? It's kind of like whenever you see therefore in scripture. I had a professor that he'd say, if you see the word therefore, you better go back before it and figure out what it is there for. Like there's a reason the word therefore is there. Go back and read before it. And this is kind of when he says, I can do all this. You go back and you're like, wow, you can be content through Christ who gives you strength. I think at, in moments, like I, I've seen this verse and, and I try and kind of, my own translation of this would almost be more, I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be content in all things because I'm focusing on him. I'm focused on the spiritual so the physical just doesn't even matter. When we try to focus on being content in the physical, we, we are trying to have this self-sufficiency in our lives. All right? Like, I, I, just, I just have to change my mindset and then I can be satisfied. I just have to not look at what my neighbor has and then I can be satisfied. I, ha- I have to be content. And it's this, um, this self-sufficiency. Now, Paul is actually coming directly against that mindset here because it was a common mindset of his day. Uh, today, we would call that this like self-help positive thinking, and there are a million books that you can read and, and podcasts you can listen to that are all this self-help. I am just going to take this into my own hands, and I'm going to get better. And Paul's coming against that here, and he, here's why I say that. The Greek word that we translate here to be content, okay, the original Greek word, atarkis, uh, this word it was actually specifically used by first century Stoic philosophers and that word meant self-sufficiency. So what Paul is saying here is I have found the secret to self-sufficiency. And what the secret to self-sufficiency is actually not self-sufficiency. Paul says the secret to be self-sufficient or content isn't to be self-sufficient, but actually to be Christ-sufficient. This is not something you can do on your own. You cannot grab yourself by your bootstraps and pull yourself up and say, I will be content with what I have. This is something that we must rely on Christ for. Too often, I think we think about being content and we get this idea of like, what the good life looks like. Um, we just had the, the question for our family, because we're behind, last night. What would your perfect day entail? That was our dinner time question. And so you're thinking about all these things and money doesn't matter, all these things. I think sometimes when we think about being content, we think about like the perfect life and the right house, the right car, the right job, the right family, the right everything. And we get this picture of ourselves living that perfect life. And we think that to be content, I'm going to go and look in the mirror and I want to be able to see kind of that, that perfect idea. That that's the reflection that we want. Instead, we need to look in the mirror and we need to think about, does the reflection that I see not look like the perfect life I want, but does it look like Christ? If my reflection looks like Christ, then I'm going to become content. You need to rely on Jesus, not yourself. That's where your strength comes from. Your provision, your focus, your satisfaction in life, your everything comes from him. So to be content, we should look like Jesus, not this, just the best version of ourselves. 
So what does this mean for us today? As, as we wrap up this idea of gratitude, of focusing on the right things, and, and uh, I want us to look at our life and, and, and what we have, our belongings, you know, that what I don't want us to. Like, that, that's so easy to be like, I'm thankful for all these things that I have. But even in doing that, we take our focus off of Jesus and we, and we again, we begin to put it on our circumstances and our things and our stuff. And we try and find a way to be happy in that. I want us instead to take, take that completely out of the equation. Instead, look at our life and we picture it with Christ and without Christ. Like if you have those two pictures. And when we see our life with Jesus at the center of it, we can say that that's all that matters. And I'm satisfied. Not that nothing else matters. But it's the only thing that can truly satisfy me. Okay, I understand that. It, it, what Paul isn't saying here is that the rest of your life doesn't matter at all. You shouldn't ever think about that. You shouldn't care about what you have. Or you shouldn't enjoy God's creation. Like, God made this creation for us to enjoy it. He really did. But, you should never find your satisfaction, at the end of the day, in his creation. Only in the creator. That, that's the only place that our satisfaction can come from. Nothing else can make me satisfied. Whether everything comes or everything leaves. All right, so here's, here's kind of our last point if you're taking notes. Being content only comes from being in Jesus. That's the only place that this can come from. Being satisfied can only come from there. If you try and find it in anything else, you're going to chase it and chase it and chase it, and you will never actually be content. Whether I work this job or that job, I have Jesus. That's what I'm working for. Whether I live in this house or that house, he is the foundation of the house. Whether I'm in this relationship or marriage or not, I have this relationship with him, you know, that, that's what matters. This is where our content comes from. We have to reframe this, remove the focus from the material world and be able to focus on him. All provisions are from him anyways. We, we focus on his presence in our lives. We focus on his purpose for our lives. We focus on his kingdom expanding, not ours. If that is our focus, then we will be content. If we know that he's never going to leave or forsake us, we will be content. If my desire in my life, if my purpose is to glorify him, then that's what makes me content. Why don't we stand together if you're able as we just close today. In order to be content, we have to be measuring the right thing. When I ask this question, when I ask, are you content in your life? Are you content with your life right now? Where does your mind go? What things do you begin to think about? What things are, are you kind of running through your head and saying, is this at the place that I want it at? Is this at the level that I want it at? Am I where I want to be in my job? Am I putting away what I want in my retirement? Am I, is the house that I want to have? You know, all these different things. If we start to think about those things, if we start to think about those things, then that is where we are trying to look for our satisfaction. When we ask this question, are you content in life? 
Wherever your mind goes, that's what you are living for. Wherever your mind goes, that is what you are living for. That is where you find your satisfaction. So if I ask that question, are you content in life? And it goes somewhere other than just simply the presence of God. And I know that sounds really unfair. I am working on this as well, okay? It sounds like one of those impossible tasks. But that's where we have to go. We have to be able to go there. It's so easy to let this slip and for us to focus on our kingdom instead of his. So much so that I actually think in a way that God like expects that to happen almost. It's why, it's why this gathering together is so important. This allows us to refocus and to recenter our lives. And as a pastor, like, am I thinking when I walk away from church on Sunday and I ask the question, like, was church good today? Like, I'll tell you as a pastor, there's a lot of different places your mind can go. You can start thinking, well, how many people walk through the door? How many first time visitors walk through the door? How many repeat visitors came back? How much were people engaged in worship? I'll tell you this, in Minnesota, that's a bleak one to try and measure yourself on. All right. You can go all these different places. And I'll tell you right now, as a pastor, I have had to try and discipline myself to truly answer that question with this. Did believers gather? And was God glorified? Then it was a great day. The other stuff is still, it's good. You should measure that. You should look at those things. They can be important. They can tell you, are, are you doing what God has put you here to do? Are you moving forward? But it's not where the satisfaction comes from. It's the same thing in our lives. Other things can be good. Family is good. But we absolutely can take family and we can put that in the wrong spot where our satisfaction comes from family. And at that point, we have made an idol out of something that God created. At that point, we are worshiping the creation, not the creator. I want to just close in prayer. Uh, As we've gone through this idea of gratitude intentionally, it has gotten harder and harder. And, And hopefully you've felt challenged this month. That if you want to live a life that is content, if you want to live a life that you are grateful for, live a life of gratitude, that that there's work to be done. I I would venture to guess, and I could be wrong, that none of us, you know, these last three weeks were like, yep, oh, got that, yep, check, perfect, I'm doing all of that. I'm going to guess that most of us are struggling a little bit. And we have areas to grow, we have areas to to hand over to God, we have areas to refocus and recenter. God, we, we come to you right now, Lord, and I, I pray that this time together, Lord, of us just gathering, of us encouraging each other, Lord, and just glorifying you, that that would be, that would be the center of what this is always about. God, we pray that we'd be able to find that same type of balance in our personal lives. 
God, for those of us that are in the rat race and we're just constantly looking at what we don't have and what I'm going to have someday, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to save up the money, and, and this is what I'm going to have. And at that point, then I've really achieved where, where I want to be in life. And then I'll truly be happy and, and everything will come together and I'll be satisfied. God, I, I pray that we would not fall into that race. Lord, instead we would run this race that is just directed towards you, towards your kingdom. So when we finish this life, you're going to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've ran the race. You fought the fight. God, that's what we want to do. So Lord, we pray for help in this area. We pray for strength. We pray for conviction in the areas that we are that we are weak in. God, not guilt and shame, but just conviction, just this desire uh, to change. God, that that would begin to just kind of be the center of our life, Lord. Just this pursuit of you. Especially as we go into this Christmas season and we try and slow down and not not jump through all these crazy hoops and and forget about why, why we even celebrate this time. Lord, instead, I pray that we'd just be able to focus on you and slow down. Lord, we ask this this morning.